Welcome to the Musician's Venture Podcast. This is a podcast focused on lessons learned from musicians' backstories, as well as from building successful careers in the music business. My name is Nick O'Brien, and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events that Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. On occasion, I'll be joined by Allison M., the founder of Wisconsin Music Ventures, as she and I will dive into topics relevant to the music industry. So let's get down to business. Welcome to this episode of the Musicians Venture Podcast. I am so fortunate to have with me here today, Kristen Sponsia. Kristen is a Chicago-based pianist, vocalist, arranger, composer, and educator. She specializes in unique arrangements of jazz standards and pop songs. Her career focus has been on teaching and performing American jazz and accompanying uh, vocalists, including herself. From her appearance with the Phil Matson Singers at Carnegie Hall to a five-month jazz duo residency in China, Kristen's performance career has been rich and varied. Uh, she's played everywhere that you can think of, Milwaukee, Chicago, Minneapolis, Key Largo, Key Largo Nashville, Urbana, uh, as a freelance um, pianist, and, and, and that's included you know, work at churches and Dixieland bands, weddings, jazz festivals, background music, big bands, small jazz groups, and an abundance of solo gigs. As a vocalist, Kristen sang with the Phil Matson Singers for two years. She started her own vocal jazz group in the Chicago area and is often called upon to accompany the best vocalists in her place of residence. Kristen has considerable academic training and teaching experience. Over the last four years, she has held various teaching positions at Divine Saver Holy Angels High School in Milwaukee, uh, as well as Milwaukee High School of the Arts, of which she is an alumnus and Cardinal Stritch University. She graduated with a Doctor of Musical Arts in Jazz Performance from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign in 2018, where she held a coveted teaching assistantship. Her doctoral research is titled The Advantages and Challenges of the Female Self-Accompanied Jazz Vocalist. Um, Presently, Kristen performs and teaches in the Chicagoland and Milwaukee areas. She continues to grow her musicianship with skills in production, songwriting, and music business. And I'm so excited, Kristen, to dive into today's conversation. Thank you so much uh, for making some time to be a guest on the podcast. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Kristen, we, we kind of you know set the table of where you are now and a little bit of where you've been. But let's go back even earlier than what your bio um, kind of explains um, to, the, to, the, to the time in which you, you felt yourself being drawn to music. Um, and and making a decision to to at least focus some of your time on it, um, probably I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll learn, but I'm I'm guessing you focus a lot of your time on music now. Has it always been like that? Was it a slow progression, or did you just kind of get into it? And it's been it's been full bore ever since. So so take me back to to the time that that uh, that music grabbed a hold of you and 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 drew you in. What was that like? Oh my gosh! Well, I think my earliest musical memory is probably me at about age five or six at um, the piano in my parents' house, which was my mother's childhood piano. It was this um, winter brand spinet. And um, I guess uh, I was trying to, I played by ear at first. So I was trying to pick out the melody to Tomorrow from Annie and it was like the only song that I taught myself how to play. So I guess after hearing it a number of times, my parents decided, 
we're tired of this song. We want her to learn something else. So maybe we should get her some lessons. <laughs> so I had my first year of lessons was the Suzuki method. And then as it happened, um, my dad was transferred to a different state for his job. So we moved and I started traditional lessons at that point. Gotcha. And has it just been, you know, nonstop music ever since or? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I played other instruments in, in my childhood and adolescence, but um, in high school, I decided to focus on uh, the piano and voice. And, and then uh, further into high school, I decided to specialize in jazz. Gotcha. What was the, uh, what was the draw to jazz? Um, I just loved the aspect of improvisation that you could kind of make up your own melodies. And that was like what you were supposed to do. Cause that's what I was doing already at the piano. I just didn't know what it was called and I wasn't necessarily doing it in a jazz style, but I loved to just make up my own stuff and I could just, you know, kind of dive into that and get lost for a while. Um, the other thing I think that really attracted me to jazz was the harmonic depth. I just loved, you know, the colors of those full chords with like those extra notes added onto it. It just really appealed to my ear. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, that the 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 description that you're giving of those draws is is it is it, it it's kind of uh, how do I say like. You can tell that you're 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 an academic in that in that sense, like that you, the way you talk about it, it seems uh, very polished and um, uh, maybe a little little less polished than some of the other guests I've had who have just been playing in garages and basements, you know, for uh, for their career. But um, nonetheless, what what at what point in your music career did you did you become aware that of of what is I think come to be known as like the necessary evil in the industry, which is of course learning the business side of it, and and you know booking shows and and promoting and all of that type of stuff. Like, what has that been like in the in the in the jazz you know industry for you? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely been a learning curve. I'm still learning because, as you know, the business changes. Um, it's always changing and morphing and, and evolving. But um, I think I was first kind of faced with the, you have to start dealing with the business side of things in college. Cause that's when I started gigging professionally and teaching professionally. Um, and I had some, some guidance from my professors at the time and I just kind of did what they did, but I've never really been great at, I guess, like the tuning your own horn thing, you know, like, I've pursued a few things here and there, but I'm not, uh, I'm not the most moving and shaken of the mover and sh movers and shakers. That's going to change though. <laughs> Why do you say that? You're just, you're just kind of uh, really focused on, on getting to the next level in terms of the business acumen side of the industry. Yeah. I have decided um, to step back from my teaching quite a bit and focus more on basically just monetizing all the aspects of the things that I can do with music because I feel like I have a lot of different skills and abilities and rather than learn an entirely new skill and go into, you know, some other field that I probably won't be as passionate about, this seems to be the best way to make the most of what I've got. Yeah, that's awesome. I, that, so, so, so stepping back on the teaching to explore other ways to, to monetize 
the love and the passion that you have for music. Um, what if you're if you're comfortable talking about that? Like, what what does that what does that look like in your mind? Take me take me through the lens that you're you have on that right now. And is is that you know sync licensing? Is that what? How are you how are you exploring other ways of monetization? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm only right now doing two very part time teaching positions where I'm directing a vocal jazz group at Nels North High School in Skokie. And that's like two evenings a week. And then I'm, uh, I was hired as a rhythm section coach for John Hersey High School out in Arlington Heights. And that is, a, that's an even less amount of time commitment than, um, than the two times a week rehearsal with the vocal jazz group. But, you know, they're both things that directly relate to my area of expertise and my training. And I feel like I have a lot to offer in those ways. And I, I really, really enjoy teaching young people about jazz. Awesome. Cool. And you've, you've done that here in the Milwaukee area as well. Can you talk to me about your, your ties to Wisconsin um, and just what your experience has been like in Wisconsin's music industry? Uh, sure. Yeah, I guess um, I went to Milwaukee High School of the Arts. Go MHSA. <laughs> yeah. And um, I studied with Cliff Gribble, who was the jazz department chair at the time. And um, and then I also sang in the choirs uh, with Raymond Roberts, who is a major choral music figure in this state of Wisconsin. If not regionally, then nationally. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was exposed to jazz there first, and I just kind of got the bug for it and decided that's what I was going to major in in college. But a funny backstory to that is I remember before I was, before school had started my freshman year of high school, I looked on my schedule and it said, you know, jazz improv. And I like, I didn't know what that was at the time. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. And I was like, what's this jazz stuff? Isn't that like old people music? And <laughs> my mom's like, <laughs> just try it. You never know. You might end up liking it and major in it in college. And I was like, yeah, whatever, mom. Ha ha ha. You know, <laughs> you know how kids are. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't believe her, but you know, sometimes parents really know <laughs> what could happen. And here I am years later with three jazz degrees. <laughs> That's funny how that works out, huh? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and through your, you know, your, your roots in Wisconsin, you, um, you somehow came, came across Wisconsin music ventures. Uh, can you tell me the story of, of how that happened? Did you know Allison beforehand or um, was it kind of a lot of people just kind of found out about it through her? She was bopping around in the early days of WMV, um, hitting the streets and, and talking to everybody uh, she met about it. Um, were you one of those folks or did, did you have a relationship with Allison beforehand? No, um, I actually just met Allison recently. Um, I found out about Wisconsin Music Ventures because I work with another singer from Milwaukee who um, was a member of theirs, of WMV, before I was. And her name is Marcia Daniel, and um, and I, I play piano for her quite often. And so she told me about it, and she's like, you know, you should really talk to Allison and you know, learn more about the organization, you'd probably want to join. And so I did that and I joined. <laughs> nice. How long ago was that? That was only probably last spring. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, it hasn't been that long, but 
Um, I'm sorry, I kind of uh, rambled on about the how I, you know, the high school jazz story. But I meant to I meant to say earlier that after I graduated with my undergrad degree, I came back to Milwaukee, and um, I think that was probably a a period of of moving and shaking, so to speak. I I um, was trying to you know find myself a steady gig where I could sing and play on a regular basis, and and I did do that for a while, um, but then. 9-11 happened and we all know what happened to the, the economy and the gig economy as a result of that. But um, I had a nice little thing going there for a while. Yeah. I had to go get my master. So I left Wisconsin again. What's um, tell me about just, just like your experience, um, you know, having getting educated in, in jazz and music and um, you know, that's not something that every musician does. Um, but, but the ones who do, uh, usually have nothing but good things to say about it. Can you just explain how, um, beneficial your, your academic training in music has been to, to your music career? Sure. Well, the coursework in and of itself, I mean, it gives you a framework in which to understand jazz and, um, it gives you a framework to um, just learn the history of it and where it fits into music history and cultural history and gives you a chance to, you know, learn about um, other musicians who maybe you didn't find all, find already. You know, for me, obviously I'm going to focus on singers and pianists, but like Dexter Gordon, like you might want to learn a few things about him or, you know, Louis Armstrong, or, you know, um, there's a lot of great jazz musicians who produced a ton of great music that we actually, in order to learn the art form, we really need to listen to it and witness it in a live format if possible. Um, that's really how it was traditionally learned. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So I'm sure that there have been many challenges over the course of your music career. Are there any that stand out as being um, you know, really, I guess, influential in, in who you are as a musician now? And it, it, how did you overcome those challenges? Um, yeah, I would love to answer that question. Would you mind if I add an addendum onto the last question? Sure, go for it. Um, I wanted to say that also the chance to study jazz um, under the umbrella of a degree program means that you're also enrolled in private lessons. So those kind of get customized to... Um, you know, address the things that you need to get better at just individually. So that was another thing that I found really helpful for me is that I didn't have to take the same kind of lesson as someone else in the program. Sure. Sure. What, uh, you know, I guess what were some of those areas that, uh, that you, you felt you needed improvement on that, the, that, that, that school helped you with? Um, well, I just think confidence was a big one for me. Um, I had a pretty significant amount of performance anxiety when I was younger, and I still get it a little bit, but it's not as bad as it used to be. Um, so I just needed a lot more playing and some encouragement to get through some of that anxiety before I could really sort of build up the muscle of confidence. Um, so I really appreciated the chance to do that. But, you know, obviously with there's there's always tons of stuff to work on. And the fact that I, you know, am doing two instruments, there's just ne there's never going to be a shortage of things for me to work on and get better at. So, um, you know, voicings, comping, improv, 
uh, you know, vocal technique, uh, piano playing technique. Uh, and then, then there's also, you know, how that stuff can feed into arranging and composition. That's a whole other facet of, of music and jazz that I love to dabble in. So there's, there's always stuff to work on. That's kind of why I love this art form is because there's really no ceiling on it. Sure. You, know, you can learn everything and still you won't know everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You, um, you bring up kind of just performance anxiety. I've had a number of conversations with other musicians about that, who, um, you know, you see them on stage and you, you just see them like, you know, beaming with confidence and light up a room with their personality and their music. Um, but, but in the moments before stepping on stage, it's, it's, it's not, not always, you know, such an exciting experience. It can be kind of uh, paralyzing, I've heard. Um, so, you know, that with any creative output, you know, I think, uh, you know, mental health is of the utmost importance and, and having kind of a handle on anxiety and things like that. Like you said, you, you got a lot of encouragement and, and things like that. Has, have, have there been other, uh, other ways that you kind of coped with, with the poor performance anxiety? Um, yeah, some, some breathing techniques, relaxation techniques before a performance, some visualization techniques, uh, before, like well before the performance as well as, um, yeah, I've had therapy. Um, I've, you know, dealt with a lot of my inner demons, so to speak. And I think once you've done some of that work, you just naturally sort of come to trust yourself more and value more what you think is important versus what other people think is important or how other people are seeing you. And as a performer, of course, there's always going to be that element of someone's looking at me, someone's judging me, someone's making a comparison, you know, someone doesn't like what I'm doing, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you have to be really secure in the reasons why you're up there doing your thing. Mm -hmm. Because then that stuff tends to fall away. And, you know, you can kind of get a little bit of a well, you know, they can think what they want, but I'm up here doing this because I know that I'm supposed to, because I, I feel it from a place very deep within myself, you know, mm -hmm. that I meant to do this and I have, I have something to say with this performance, you know? Yeah. Oh, Kristen, I really relate to that. Um, it's tough. Yeah, it, it is. It is tough. Um, I've, I've also experienced, uh, anxiety, professionally oriented anxiety. Um, yeah. And, and, and most would, who know me, uh, would, would be surprised by that because I, I am fairly confident in most situations. Um, but, uh, but especially, especially as a creative, um, like I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur who usually am creating events or communities or something like that. And, uh, you know, the self-doubt, man, it, it could creep up, creep up quickly and it's, it takes over you you know? Um, so I'm happy to know that you've, uh, you know, you've done what you've, what, what you've taken advantage of, uh, kind of the resources that are out there with therapy and breathing techniques and things like that. So that seems to have really helped. Yeah, it really has. And you know, the other piece of that is you have to be careful who you surround yourself with, you know, cause if you're always hanging around negative Nancy's and people that are like, vibing you and, you know, trying to like put you down to make themselves feel better. I'm not about that. Um, I, I don't have time for that, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta pick your people carefully. 
Definitely. Definitely. Well, as it, you know, you kind of, you kind of answered my question about the challenge uh, with the addendum to the last answer um, in terms of the anxiety, but I'm, I'm really curious too um, about your doctoral research on the advantages and challenges of the female self-accompanied jazz vocalist. Um, tell me about some of the, you know, the, the kind of the key points or the key pillars of, of that research and, and uh, you know, what you learned and, 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 and what you, what you uh, what were you able to share with the, the rest of the world um, from that research? Yeah, well, that's going to be hard to summarize in, in just a statement or two, but um, I, I believe you can find it online. And uh, I hope I didn't type the title wrong, but I think it should be the challenges and advantages of the female self jazz, no, female self accompanied jazz pianist slash vocalist. Or, oh, yeah, I, I'm yeah. reading it here on your website that the advantages and challenges of the female self accompanied jazz vocalist. Okay, well, I got to fix that. <laughs> That's okay. not exactly. It's not the exact right title. Maybe I was doing that real late at night or something. <laughs> Maybe I felt like more of a singer than a pianist that day. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> um, but that <laughs> that joke actually feeds into one of the main um, things that I discovered is that everyone that I – how many people did I survey? I think I surveyed probably roughly 20 women um, who all have experienced singing and playing piano and uh, within a jazz realm and um they all except for one person maybe two of them identify themselves as either like I'm a singer who plays piano or I'm a pianist who sings you know like one of them comes first like one of them is a primary instrument and the other one's the secondary instrument and um, Dina DeRose was someone who said, I can't tell you which one comes first. They just happen together. And I feel equally at ease with both of them. And so I want to be her when I grow up, basically. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was the first distinction that I made between them. And I would say there's a lot going on in the brain when you're uh, performing music, I mean, everyone knows that music lights up a lot of different areas of the brain. And that's why a lot of people want their kids to have music lessons because it, you know, aids in other types of learning as well. So that's wonderful and everything, but it does, it does, uh, there's a lot of work involved in that with your brain. And then when you add that you're doing a second instrument along with it, there's a lot of brain activity and it's probably not a coincidence that I tend to feel a little more tired after a gig where I'm doing both versus one where I'm only doing one or the other. Um, it just takes a lot of brain power and concentration. Um, and I guess, I mean, one of the, there, I'm trying to prioritize which one to talk about. Um, as far as challenges go, I think every, almost every woman mentioned the challenges of being a woman in not only the music industry, but the jazz industry. Um, it's been, you know, it's been a male dominated industry since its inception, basically, unless you're a singer. Um, and even then, you know, you usually had, you know, men hiring you to sing in their bands that were mostly or all male or, and or uh, managers and business partners who were who were men. So, um, yeah, that's been a challenge that we continue to have to navigate and advocate for ourselves and each other. That's another reason why I'm not so into the, like, putting other people down to build yourself up 
model of of operating because I feel like especially as women we need to support each other and um you know keep the advocation going in the community I just I think we're we're getting to a place where some people are starting to wake up around that which is great but we need to not let that momentum stop uh because it's just too easy to slip into old like old habits mm-hmm. <laughs> old ways of thinking yeah so so when you feel yourself potentially like you know slipping into those old habits or those old ways of thinking like i guess how do you how do you catch yourself and 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 keep keep going on the path that is you know i'm a i'm a strong confident you know female vocalist slash pianist they're both both primary instruments um what what do you what kind of questions do you ask yourself what 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 pep talks do you give yourself or or is it something that you you need others um kind of support for um well i think there's been times where i need some of each for sure but you know when i was talking about changing the way uh, the way people are thinking i i was actually referencing you know the greater community and their perception mm. of a woman's place in the jazz industry and in the music industry um and i think it's really easy for people to hire their their pals, you know? And I get that because, like, it's really fun to work with your friends. I totally get that. But when most of your circle is the same gender as you, it leaves out mm-hmm. an entire gender worth of people who have something to say and contribute. So, um, yeah, I'm <laughs> – for that reason, I'm interested in um, doing a lot of uh, collaborations with other females. Gotcha. I mean, the men are always going to be there. They're great. I've played with some, you know, I've played with a lot of them. I'm I'm grateful the things that they've taught me and the opportunities that uh, you know, they've offered to me and that we've shared together and I will continue to work with them of course, but I also kind of want to shine this spotlight on women. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I'm <laughs> I I I I am I've been uh noted of saying and having a belief system that I don't, I don't feel that there are enough women in like leadership roles in our society. Um, Agreed. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe it's just because I grew up in a house full of women. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I often find myself wanting to work with women more than with men. Um, I don't know why that is, but I, I'm aware of it. And I try to be intentional uh, in making decisions when I'm collaborating and things like that. So um, you know, you, you, you've, you talked about some of those, those challenges, um, you know, obviously from when, when you overcome challenges, they're, they're growth experiences and you can, you know, have some lessons that you've taken away from those experiences. Uh, do any like kind of come to mind right off the bat where you could say, boy, that was a really big lesson in my, in my musical career. And, and I kind of use it every day or every time I step on stage or every time I pick up uh, I shouldn't say pick up an instrument because you play an instrument that you do not pick up. Um, but, but you sit down and, and, uh, to play the the piano, like, is there any lessons that you can share that you think might be applicable to other working musicians? Yes. Um, I just told this story recently to one of my friends, we were commiserating about some of our worst musical like gig experiences. And I told him that, um, that one of mine is a gig that I never actually had, um, or that I never actually like did because what had happened was, um, I was living in the Midwest and one of the cities 
most preeminent piano players, jazz piano players, called me to sub for him. And I was thrilled because I respected him so, so much. And um, he gave me the details for the gig. And I think uh, I think I had put my calendar. It was like on a Friday or whatever. And or no, like it was on a Saturday or something. So he calls me that Friday night and he's like, are you close? Are you there? Because they're calling me wondering like where you are. And I'm like, I had it on the calendar for tomorrow. I'm so sorry. I can, I can get over there in like half an hour. And he's like, no, I think that's going to be too late for them. They're just going to use canned music or something. And I felt horrible. I felt so terrible that I'd messed up this really important detail of the date. And I mean, it would have been better had I made the mistake of booking, of putting my calendar a day early or something, you know, but when you put it in a day too late, there's no way that you can recover from that. And, you know, he never called me to sub for him again. And I understand like that is a, that is a example of like how reliability is really so, so, so important. Um, you know, not only did I make myself look bad, but I made him look bad for booking me. Um, so I, I'm kind of anal about like checking my calendar. <laughs> you know, I never want to miss another opportunity because of, you know, a dumb mistake like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Cause I'm sure it is not a, uh, not an experience that you enjoy reflecting on, but it seems like you've, you've taken the lesson from it and, and, and applied it uh, going forward. I, I assume that, you yeah. have never uh, misdated a, a show since then? I have not, and I have not double booked myself, which I know is another problem sometimes musicians run into. Um, I, what was I, I was going to say something else about that, but it totally, it's gone. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It'll come back. Yeah. It'll come back. So, I mean, that uh could have been uh if things had gone differently maybe a favorite gig of yours um but but do you have others other other gigs that you really like stand out in your career that you're um, yeah singing at carnegie hall with the phil matson singers was definitely a really cool experience very unique um we were kind of headlining this choral festival and uh, we weren't really singing choral literature. We were singing vocal jazz. Um, but it was six of us singers and uh, we sang some incredibly challenging music. And it was it was great. I mean, I just I love singing in harmony with other singers. It's really, really fun. Yeah. Was that um, how did it how did you get that gig? Tell me tell me about how you got that opportunity. Well, um, for those of you that are listening that don't know the name Phil Matson, he is one of the kind of godfathers of the the subgenre of jazz called vocal jazz, uh, which is basically, you know, ensemble singing, where the singers sort of imitate a big band uh, in some ways, depending on the style of writing. And so um, the harmony can be really deep and complex. And so it really kind of trains your ears a lot, uh, which I actually really enjoy. <laughs> I enjoy that sort of challenge. Um, so he had retired from his college teaching position and had moved to St. Paul where I was living at the time. And he held auditions. I don't remember how I heard about the auditions, but 
someone told me and I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to sing in a vocal jazz group again, because primarily these groups exist within academia. You know, they're sort of a learning tool for those singers who are trying to learn the genre and the style. Um, but there aren't a ton of these groups that are, you know, working consistently outside of academia. Uh, groups like the New York Voices or Manhattan Transfer or the Real Group, which by the by the way, the Real Group is a Swedish group where they're, I believe their government pays them to be full-time musicians because they're essentially ambassadors of their country because they tour internationally and perform like all over the world. So uh, anyway, I want that job. <laughs> yeah, that'd be so cool. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, what was my point? <laughs> I'm digressing. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, we were um, we were talking about uh, how you got the gig at Carnegie. Oh, right. Uh, so Phil had auditions, and um, he ended up selecting me. And that that performance happened the second year I was in the group. So we had slightly different personnel than we did the first year. But because it was the second year, and there were some people who had carried over from the previous year, we had some consistency going into that second season. So I feel like we were a little stronger that year, um, just having had more time to sing together. So it was, it was a quite, um, it was really fun and it was really, it felt really great to be able to perform at this iconic venue in New York city. Um, you know, and now every time, you know, someone makes the joke, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Your parents, you know, yes, I've played at Carnegie Hall and I practiced, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can say, yes, I've done both parts of that. Um, and I'd say like the other gig that really stands out to me uh, was my residency in China. That was probably one of the most intense periods of my life ever. I was dealing with a whole bunch of different cultural things. I didn't really speak Mandarin. <laughs> I learned a few key phrases. Um, it was great to be able to play five nights a week um, and really sort of, I think I got a lot of my confidence during that period too. Like it really helped me just sort of solidify some of the things that I do and like the way that I approach performing because I didn't have a choice. You know, I had to get up there five nights a week, no matter how I felt mentally or physically and um, play and sing. So. And how long was that? How long was that residency? Uh, it was just shy of five months. Okay. And uh, what was it like, you know, just being in China, like other than, you know, the, the, the music stuff? Like, I mean, obviously you were very busy playing five shows a week, but, um, you know, what, were, what was your experience like in that and the other country? You spoke about some of the, the cultural challenges. Um, it was, like I said, it was pretty intense. Um, the Chinese people tend to be very warm and like definitely want to talk with you and ask questions. And a lot of them wanted to practice English with you, um, you know, as being a native speaker and such. And um, so there, there were a lot of people to talk with, I guess you could say, um, but sort of navigating the social nuances was a little bit challenging because you didn't always know what was appropriate and like what their expectations were. Um, and sometimes I did need help from a person who could speak Chinese and, you know, I wasn't sure if they like always expected something in return for that. It just, it was, it's just a little different. Um, 
Yeah, but the, I mean, the language thing being a huge part of the culture that obviously I you know, didn't have a lot of experience with beforehand. And then the audience that we were playing for was a combination of locals who, um, I don't know, I guess like, tr- like in that city, I was living in Shenyang, which was, um, you know, to them, one of their smaller cities was like eight or nine million people. And right. <laughs> and um, it wasn't as cosmopolitan as like, you know, Shanghai or Beijing would be considered. I think a lot of the locals were kind of like, what is this weird alien music that they're doing? We've never heard this type of thing before. And they didn't really know what to make of it. And we got stared at quite a bit. Oh, wow. Uh, Not only while we were playing, but also just on the street, because it was very obvious that we were not locals. You know, Um, I went with a bass player friend of mine and, and he was, I mean, he was probably like six, six, heavily bearded, you know, definitely look American. Like we're both wearing jeans all the time. And, you know, we look, we just look American. Um, so yeah. The, and then the other part of the population that would come into the club was expats who were, you know, mostly from Europe and and some from the other English speaking um, countries around the world. But, um, and they of course, weren't really phased by our music, you know, they'd heard it before. Um, but yeah, that was, I found that dichotomy to be really interesting. And um, yeah, that was part of what to navigate. I mean, and just some people just didn't know how to behave. I mean, I had people regularly getting drunk and like trying to sit on the piano bench next to me and like talking my mic at times. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> you have to, tread carefully through those types of experiences. Of course. Yeah. That's gotta be challenging. Um, now I'm, I, I have much more of a gauge on what you meant by like the cultural challenges. Um, what is the, like, is it typical do you think that the response from, um, you know, the, the Chinese community in, uh, to, uh, to American music, uh, you said you said something that I thought was interesting. You said it, we were like aliens of some sort, or like, what is this alien music? Yeah, because um, <laughs> I assume you were singing in English, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we were just doing standards, you know, the Great American Songbook type stuff. That was mostly what we did. Um, and on the weekends, we were able to hire a local drummer to join us, and. Um, Again, there was the language barrier, but we we basically communicated with him. His name was Fanchi. <laughs> we could tell Fanchi, uh, you know, ballad, bassa, swing, or waltz, you know, and then he would like lay that groove down. But um, it was, yeah, it was always really, <laughs> it's just funny. You just had to be flexible and do your best to communicate and go with the flow. That's really what a lot of it was. Yeah. Yeah, so I can see how it was, uh, as you mentioned, um, kind of instrumental to your your confidence as a musician, your um, your kind of framework or your routine for for getting ready to perform. Um, are you still? I would assume you're still using some of those 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 tactics and that approach uh, here today. How long ago was that? Was that residency? Oh gosh, that was in 2010. So that was quite some time ago. Okay. Yeah. But but more or less, it was a pretty influential part of your career. Yeah, I definitely think it 
it is definitely one of sort of the the benchmarks of you know what I chose to do with my career and not not everybody can say that they went to a different country for several months and and performed there and I I do think it gave me a lot it gave me a lot of appreciation actually for what life is like back here mhm um, would you uh would you recommend uh, to other musicians to 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 jump on an opportunity like that if they if they have the chance? I would. I would also um, advise them to maybe check out the current status of the relationship between the United States and said country. I don't know that I would necessarily be interested in that same opportunity today, partially because of just where I'm at in my life and my age and partially because I think things are not quite the same as they were between China and the United States as they were in 2010. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would, you know, be cautious about that. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's, that's great advice. Great advice. So Kristen, you, uh, you shared uh, with me a song of yours called yeah. lucky girl. Um what what made you choose this song to uh, to share on the podcast and to kind of dive into? Uh, I think I chose it because it's one of my more upbeat songs that I've written. Um, and the lyrics kind of refer to just that sort of like when you're early on kind of interested in someone and like you think about them and they just kind of like make you happy. Like you're happy to be thinking about them and you feel like lucky that they came into your life kind of and, you know, just sort of in those early stages um, before the real work begins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I just, it's a, it's a happy love song. I haven't written a lot of those, so it's kind of special to me for that reason. And uh, how long ago did you write this song? I wrote part of it probably, I don't know, late 1990s, early 2000s. And then I finished it, I think, in like, 2005 or 2006. Okay. Is that, uh, is that pretty typical for you to kind of like get started on something like a, a new song and, and then give it a break for a few years and come back to it? I wouldn't say it's typical, but it's definitely not unusual because I do tend to get stuck sometimes on things like that are just half baked and then I'll just put them away and take them out later and see if anything new comes to me or, or actually this sort of, this sort of thing I just wrote kind of sounds like it might mesh well with this other thing that I was toying around with before, you know? Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you, uh, how do you usually approach uh, songwriting in general? Do you, um, do you set, you know, kind of certain time aside for it or do you write when it just comes to you? Well, that's a great question. Um, the way it's been is that I have just sort of, you know, written when I'm inspired to, or when I have an idea. Um, sometimes I just will, will record like little snippets of ideas of either like lyrics or melody or a chord progression or something that I like and record that and revisit it later. Um, part of what I am doing right now is, excuse me, with the time that I would be teaching more, um, I'm trying to get myself into a schedule of when I work on certain aspects of my artistry. So that of course includes practicing, but it also includes writing. And I would like to implement a more regular writing time for myself. I think, 
I think it's probably time that I do that. Yeah, I, I think with creativity, you know, um, it it does it, at least for me, it does kind of pay to be you know intentional, but at the same time, like uh, any sort of rigidity that that comes along with some sort of routine or process, usually at least for me, it usually kind of um, like my the create it, it's the opposite of the creative you know the creative side of my brain, right? And so it's like almost like you know, creativity for me feels kind of like, in a sense, like rebellion, you know, it's just like freeing and you're not, you're not worried about, um, you know, what people are going to think, or even what you're going to think, you just kind of get lost in it. Um, Do you feel that when you're writing, um, and you're really on to something good? um, Are you able to kind of pick up on, you know, different elements or factors that may have uh, supported that? Like, is it, you know, time of day? Is it the, the you know, season of the year? Is it based on, um, you know, what you've eaten or drank, you know, in, in you know, beforehand? Is it whenever you hang out with this person, you tend to have like a burst of creativity afterwards or inspiration? Are there things that you can point to and say, yeah, like, when that happens, or when I do that, like, that's kind of I'm I'm locked and loaded, I'm ready to go. That's a great question. I don't think that I've noticed a particular pattern. I haven't really tried to keep track of that. And honestly, like the reason why I want to give myself some structured planned time to create is because I don't make time for it enough. Mm -hmm. I have these ideas that I haven't really given myself a chance to develop them and see what else I could, you know, come up with. Um, So I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but, but yeah, I really, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. That's okay. That's okay. It's probably happened all of those ways, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Do you, do you normally like to write alone or do you co-write ever? Um, I normally write alone, but I tried some co-writing last summer. I really liked it. And um, I'm planning on pursuing some more co-writing opportunities going forward. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's a Wisconsin Music Ventures member who, I don't know if he does it anymore, but uh, uh, for a while, I think he was hosting like these co-writing like retreats. Oh, cool. um, you know, he, he, I think he maybe had a cabin somewhere um, up north or regardless of where in the state it was, I knew it was like kind of remote. Um, and he would just like get some of his you know musician friends together, some of whom knew each other and some who did not. And it was just a weekend of, you know, working musicians, like coming together, meeting each other and, and collaborating on songwriting, um, you know, as a non, as a non-musician, like that excites me. Cause I would just love to be like, a, just, can I just be the one non-musician there and just get to like <laughs> hang out and be a fly on the wall? Cause that there's nothing more endearing to me than seeing musicians like create live, like impromptu, um, which is why I tend to frequent like jam sessions and band practices and yeah i'm usually one of the the only non-musicians that goes to an open mic and just sits there and just is smiling the whole time but um do you have any of those experiences where you just kind of met somebody randomly and ended up like having a really good connection and collaboration on anything musically um not randomly it's it's been more um 
more like, hey, yeah, I love the way you think about music and I love your writing and, um, you know, wondering if you'd want to try to collab sometime on something. And then, yeah, we should totally do that. And, you know, it doesn't materialize. But yeah. I've also not been very um, persistent about, you know, nailing down a time and a place. So, but I do have some friends that I'm in deep admiration of who I would love to collaborate with. Yeah. Yeah. Are they all in the kind of jazz uh, genre as well? Oh, most of them are, but yeah, I think most of them are. That's just, I mean, those are my people. Those are who I see the most and hear the most. It's not that I wouldn't be open just to, you know, another musician who comes from a different kind of genre. Yeah. Do you, how often, if ever, do you do you step out of jazz? And and I, I think I remember reading in your bio, you, you did some pop at some point. Um, yeah. How how often do you 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 explore other genres and 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 in a performative way? Um, I mean, I'd say I I don't know how to quantify it with like how often, but but I do I do go there. I do like to experiment with taking songs from other genres and, and turning them into jazz. That's kind of my, one of the things that I love to do. Um, I love eighties music cause I'm a child of the eighties, <laughs> you know? And um, yeah, I mean, I've even taken songs that were important to my, my dad. Like my dad is both my parents are huge, you know, music lovers. Uh, my dad is, a fan of music from the fifties and sixties primarily. And I took an Everly brothers tune and reharmed it and made it into a jazz ballad. And, you know, <laughs> every gig he comes to, he's like, are you going to do all I have to do is dream. <laughs> like, I don't know, dad, <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. great. Uh, so Crystal, I have just a couple more questions left for you as we're sure. coming up kind of on our time. Um, you know, I always find it interesting to ask musicians like, you know, if there's a trait within you um, that you feel like is mostly responsible for you, for your musical output and and or like just keep just keeping on the path of being, you know, a working musician. I know it's not easy uh, as an entrepreneur myself. I can relate to, you know, the uncertainty and um, and just kind of the world is really your oyster, but sometimes that can be overwhelming. <laughs> um, so is there a trait that you've been able to pick up on within you that you give like credit to for, for your musical career and your ability to kind of keep going? Um, yeah. Some people who know me would say that it's stubbornness, but I would, I would like to kind of transform that into persistence. You have to have persistence in this, in this career. You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in what you have to offer the world in terms of your art. And um, you have to really kind of lean on that and have faith in that at times when it doesn't seem like things are going your way and you're getting rejections or somebody said something mean to you about what you, you know, just did on stage or whatever. Like you have to just remember who you are. You know, and I, I've known from a very early age, this is one of my gifts to share with the world. You know, I've been, I was a musical child. I was born with DNA that just allowed me to hear stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like I could pick out a melody. I don't know how that happened. I could just figure out a melody on the piano with like, not that much help, 
you know, that's something. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I love that, Kristen. Ah, oh, <laughs> feels good. Like, cause it's, it is like, there's so much about, you know, being an artist, being an entrepreneur that, I mean, you're out there on your own. If you can't count on yourself, who the hell can you count on? Right. Exactly. Um, and, and so that, that's a really good, uh, really good reminder and a piece of advice to other musicians, other entrepreneurs, anybody who's doing anything that's kind of, um, you know, it's on them to, to produce. Um, so with, with that being said, I, I did kind of give you a heads up on, on my last question that I usually ask the guests. Um, and I, I, I think that, um, you know, for, for one, it, it just, I am drawn to the music uh, that are, that is, that is made by people that I'm, who I'm drawn to, right. Usually with, with me. Um, and I, I, I know other friends of mine who feel the same way. Um, it's a lot easier to, to like, um, a, a style of music that maybe doesn't necessarily fall in your kind of like preferred genre. Um, when, when you have some sort of connection or admiration for, for the, for the person behind it. And, and so, um, you know, I'm curious, just this kind of a more or less a selfish question, but I think it's also helpful to listeners for them to get an idea of, of who is Kristen, you know, what, what, what would you, what do you want people to know about Kristen Sponsia, the musician, or just the person and how that comes across in your music? Wow. I feel like that's a really big question. Um, and I'm, I'm working on my, my, my branding right now. So I feel like this is the moment where I should give my branding elevator pitch, you know, um, which I don't have that yet. Okay. Okay. Um, but I would say, you know, I'm striving to be the type of person and the type of musician who is authentic and honest and vulnerable and, um, also doesn't take crap from anyone. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That that's a pretty darn good brand, I'd say. I, I think I think you got it. I think you got it, Kristen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, part of the reason that I asked that question is um, I'm a huge fan of authenticity and vulnerability myself, and um, I know it's a tough question. I I mean, if someone would ask me that, I'd be like, I I don't I don't know, you know. Um, but I think often um, I, I rise to the occasion of like being the person that asks that question that gets someone to think about it. Um, and so I think you, I think you crushed it. I think you knocked it out of the park. That's the authenticity, vulnerability. And I, I, I don't take, you know, I don't take crap from people. Like that's really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I'll add to that is that, you know, I'm, I'm doing all of that with a great amount of imperfection. <laughs> I know it's not going to be perfect, but it's what I'm aiming for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could have a whole conversation on perfection alone, uh, as creatives. Uh, that is, that yeah. is a, that's a tricky one. Um, yeah. but we'll have to, we'll have to save that for another, Another conversation. Kristen, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. I've enjoyed learning so much about you. Um, you. I've enjoyed being here. It's yeah, do you, <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. Do, do you have any uh, you have any shows uh, in the Milwaukee area coming up where I or the listeners could 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 catch you? I do. Um, I don't know. I, when is this airing? Because then I can tell you which shows are coming up. <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, this one will go, I think this one will go live next Thursday. 
Okay, in that case, the next Milwaukee show I would have. So you're saying not on the first, but on the eighth. Is this Correct. Live? The next show I would have would be I'm playing piano with uh, Marcia Daniel, and that's going to be at the Story Hill uh, Firehouse on oh, October nineteenth. Okay. I think she's doing a CD re-release. So. Gotcha. That that's cool. Fun. Yeah. And is there a place that uh, listeners can find um, your show list, uh, your website or Facebook, Instagram, anything like uh, that? Yes, I am on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I think it's just on Facebook. It's Kristen Sponsi, a musician. On Instagram, it's Sarcastic Sicilian. <laughs> and my website is www.kristensponsia.com. And I'm sure you will post a link or something so I don't have to spell it on air. <laughs> of course. Yes. Yes, we will. We will. Well, Kristen, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Likewise. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and good luck to you, uh, out, but out there. And, uh, I hope that your, um, you know, your intention to spend more time, you know, trying to, to, to kind of monetize your creative output is everything that you need it to be. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And best of luck to you with your, entrepreneurial endeavors. Thank you so much, Kristen. This was fun. Yeah, it was. All I can do is sit here and think of you. Your laugh, your smile, and your eyes. The way they light up my world. That lucky girl who is thinking of you. All I want, I have when you're beside me. And when we touch, I go wild. You send me out of this world. Oh, I'm such a lucky girl to be thinking of you.
Thanks for listening to the Musician's Venture Podcast. Please leave ratings and reviews from wherever you're listening from. Check us out online at themusiciansventure.com for more information on what we have happening, to find past episodes, and ways to get in touch with us. Find us on social media at The Musician's Venture on Facebook and Instagram, and at Musician Venture on Twitter. Like and follow us on all those platforms, and hey, while you're there, engage with and share our content with your friends. The Musician's Venture Podcast is hosted by me, Nick O'Brien, with guest host appearances from Allison M. The podcast is produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>